Hi, and welcome to Elevate Potential. I'm so glad that you're here. This is a podcast that is designed to help you escape patterns, embrace passion, and elevate potential. My name is Elizabeth Perry, and as a lifelong student of psychology, personal development, and human potential, as well as a transpersonal life and leadership coach, I will be your guide as together we learn from others who are on this journey. Let's dive in. And so for me, it was this very interesting balance of I got to see enough destruction to really take some good life lessons from it. Hi, good morning, and welcome to Elevate Potential. Um, Today, I am so excited about this episode because it has been long awaited for me to have another conversation with Allison. So Allison is an entrepreneur and a podcast host who focuses on the intersection of entrepreneurship and spirituality. Her podcast, What the Faith, is a community for faith misfits that she runs with her partner, Ashton. Their focus is both on healthy spiritual growth and bringing awareness to religious abuse and trauma. As a consultant, she focuses on lead gen marketing for a variety of entrepreneurs, everyone from online coaches, music industry executives, B2B founders, and more. I am so excited to host Allison because we actually met Uh, through one of our mutual friends, Casey Jones, who after she had heard my story, really insisted that I met with Allison because we have so many just similar experiences from childhood that in our first conversation made me feel so, so seen. And so I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with her on childhood, faith, deconstruction, and self-worth. So let's go ahead and get into it. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing really great. I'm excited to dive into this chat and I want to start honestly in a kind of vulnerable place, but we have, (laughs) we have that relationship. Like the first time that we talked about things that like, I feel like I've never said to anyone before. And so I was wondering if we could start in childhood and if you could just tell me a little bit about what was it like growing up for you? And what were some of the key moments that have related to your faith journey as well? Yeah, I feel like when it comes to reflecting on childhood, I've had a lot of ahas in the last year or two. And I think some of that just comes with early adulthood, getting more into my mid 20s. I don't know, I've been reflecting a lot more. And I think my childhood is somewhat unique because it's almost, it almost like feels like two different realities at once where yes, there was a lot of turmoil in my childhood with my parents navigating addiction with both my mother and father. But then also on that flip side, being raised full-time by my grandparents who provided a very healthy, stable home life dynamic. And the more I've gone into research around childhood development, family dynamics, uh, growing, childhood trauma, all those things. I think my grandparents actually nailed it. I really don't think they like could have done better with just the cards that they were given. And so for me, it was this very interesting balance of, I got to see enough destruction to really take some good life lessons from it while also being just far enough away where I think I was still able to be a kid. And I found that to be a fairly like unique dynamic because I think a lot of kids who are born to parents who have an addiction, you either 
are completely separated from that parent, either a grandparent raises you or the state takes you away, or you are fully submerged in that type of environment, which I also don't think is healthy either. And so my childhood was really that balance. I definitely have my fair share of childhood trauma. (laughs) And especially from about age five till 11 was especially rough. And I think addiction is one of those things that wreaks havoc in all areas of a family, right? So you've got obviously the person struggling with addiction, but I think sometimes the, the people who are clean around them often sometimes are more impacted having to mend a lot of those broken relationships. My grandparents have mended their broken relationship with my father, who's their son. And so I think reconciliation takes a long time and it's a long process. I think we finally gotten there as a family, but yeah, it was definitely a journey, especially to grow up as a upper middle-class, very privileged kid in a conservative family in Orange County. Most people assumed like my parents probably died in a car crash because it's just very rare to have parents who struggle with addiction and for me to grow up in the like town I did and to have the friends I did. <laughs> so it's, I view it as almost like two different realities because I think on the surface and even further than that, like I had a lot of privileges as a kid and I got to go to college and I got to do all those things I wanted. And I was raised in a fairly stable environment while also having this other reality loom over at times. Yeah. And this is something that we really could relate on because I think that there's this isolation that I've often felt having the privilege to be in so many of the rooms that I've been able to be in, like in college or where my life, what my life looks like right now is so different from the kids that I grew up with whose parents also struggled with addiction. And I think that can sometimes be an isolated, isolating feeling. And that's why for me, like meeting you, I had just felt like a lot of pieces coming together in terms of just feeling seen. I find it really interesting what you share about around addiction. It's really a family disease and it, one person does struggle with the addiction, but it affects the whole family unit, the unit. And I've seen in some of the dynamics in my family that there's some enablement, there's some people pleasing, there's Um, some unhealthy relationship dynamics. And this addiction, it's a lot more complicated than it looks like from the outside. It sounds like your grandparents were very key resilience factors for you and in growing up with these dynamics in your family. What would you say was really integral to your development and your resilience throughout your childhood? I definitely say my grandparents. I think that I think almost like radical honesty was definitely like a theme of my childhood. And I think that is like one of the best gifts that I think any child can be given. <laughs> and obviously there were boundaries of protecting me from things that no kid really needs to be around. And there's definitely experiences I had as a kid where if I think about eventually becoming my own parent, of course, like I would never want my children to be exposed to some of the stuff that I saw as a kid. But I think my grandparents were always very like open and honest with me. And I think that I needed that like solid foundation to be stable when everything else was not stable. And I also too, as I've gotten older, I just have such like respect for my grandparents because for them, there was like never a question about taking me in, raising me as their own, being my legal guardian, 
they respected my decision to not get adopted uh, by them. I just, I didn't see any need for that as a kid. I knew who my parents were, though my grandparents acted as my mother and father figure, but I felt like they always respected my ideas and my thoughts and I felt about things. And even if we have not agreed on everything in life, of course, I've always felt that like freedom that I was my own individual person. I had autonomy to make decisions. And I think they did a really good job of balancing that with just being honest when a lot of people weren't. I think there's what you're talking about of addiction is a family disease. I see that like enabling behavior. And I think sometimes adults make decisions. Sometimes adults in my family made decisions that were not in the best interest of me, but were in the best interests of them to make it seem like the situation was fine. And so I really respect my grandparents for that because I think they never put me in a position to have vulnerability to ever be like fully damaged by it. Like obviously I've, we've talked through a lot of things. Obviously there's trauma around that, but they were really like a rock and I think allowed me to gave me like space to grow into who I was going to be. <laughs> and I also think too, some of it's just my personality. Like from the time I was a kid, uh, I wanted to be everything, but my parents, and I think that is a very unique experience. Cause like most kids grow up idolizing their parents being like their dads are superhero or their moms are superhero. And I wish that for every kid, they, the kids should have parents that are healthy enough and stable enough where they can look to them as a support system. And so I, I think that some of it's just my personality. Like I always made decisions that were conscious of what would my mom do or what would my dad do? I'll do the opposite. <laughs> and sometimes probably like a toxic level of that, but I think that really provided me a lot of opportunity to flourish and other adult figures in my life. I had a lot of amazing teachers uh, that were like very supportive and knew what was going on in our home life and family life. And even to past addiction, there was a custody battle in our family all throughout my elementary school years. I think that Etsy probably did more damage to me than even just dealing with the addiction stuff and having my mom in and out of prison. Yes, that was definitely rough. But when I look back and reflect, I think a lot of it was just, I think like brokenness fuels more brokenness. <laughs> and yes, like addiction was like that first domino, but then there were so many other dominoes that fell after that of my father marrying a woman who was abusive to me emotionally and manipulative, very manipulative. I definitely would view myself as emotionally and mentally abused as a kid. I didn't even realize that until college. I didn't even know emotional abuse was a thing until I was in college. And so it's an interesting thing where I like saw so many dominoes fall in my childhood and even into early adulthood, those family dynamics still linger. But I think my grandparents really provided a stable outcome for me. And I also think was very defining for my personality and ultimately who I've become and the choices I've made with my career and all those things that I really think stem from my grandparents. That's so beautiful and honestly brings tears to my eyes because I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And I think that it's really key for other kids to understand that you can go through really hard traumatic experiences and come out on the other side strong and confident and living your dream life. And it really just takes 
a few different protective factors. And it sounds like your grandparents were a very strong protective factor for you. I could relate to that. Have an amazing grandmother who was there for me throughout my childhood. And I have little brothers who live with their grandma right now. And I think grandparents and even just community systems, teachers that saw what I was going through and just put in a little extra effort. I had a teacher who bought me a necklace for my first Holy Communion and I cherished that necklace so much because it showed me that I'm not alone, that there's people in the community who care about me too. And that is such a strong resilience factor for kids who grow up in traumatic experiences I think it's important for everyone to see that and to know that so that they can cognizant of the impact that they can make even with just one small little action for a child who is experiencing trauma. And one of the things that I know just through conversation with you is how faith played a role in that. Faith was huge for me as a protective factor through the trauma that I experienced, which happens to be very similar. It's one thing that we can relate on. And I wonder for you, how did faith play a role in your healing and development throughout the years in processing your childhood trauma? Totally. My faith journey is a little backwards from most people's. I was always a very spiritual kid, but we grew up in a like secular Christian home. We did Easter and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. I went to church then, but, and my grandma's uh, Christian and very spiritual. And, and so I saw some of that from her, but I wouldn't say that faith was like an integral part of our family dynamic in any means, but I was always very spiritual. I think also too, when I was a kid, I used spirituality to like make sense of situations that I was in. For example, my first spiritual experience I remember having I was probably only three or four. I don't know. Maybe I read it or saw it on the TV or whatever. But my at the time, my mom was missing. She'd gone drug benders and all that kind of stuff. And so no one really knew where she was. And my grandparents were always open and honest with me. They said, hey, we don't know where your mom is. And I took a nap and I had this like vision where an angel came to me and was like, your mom's fine. And I perceived that as, oh, my mom's fine because she's in heaven because she died. So I woke up from my nap and told my grandparents like, oh, my mom's fine. Like she's in heaven. She's with Jesus. That's like in my childhood brain, like that is what I could perceive of, oh, that's why my mom's missing is she clearly died and like she's in heaven with Jesus because why would any other, why, what, what else could she be doing? Like, why would she disappear? And so I think I used a lot of like faith-based symbols to make sense and like a childlike brain of a lot of things that happened to me as a kid. And so I think what's interesting is that spirituality provided me a lot of comfort when I was a child, but I really didn't make that... Um, conscious connection until I was in college because like I definitely felt the urge to pray when I was a kid and I would do that but I don't think I I just I didn't have the tools or the verbiage or other people around me who were able to connect the dots for me on that of oh I'm praying I just felt this like natural urge to do that but didn't really know much about the weight of faith or what the bible taught and so for me faith has definitely played an integral role in me unpacking my childhood, but that didn't come until I was really in college. And I definitely think 
my approach to my spiritual journey and understanding faith is a result of just my personality that's been very much shaped by my childhood. Where I went into it not really having any end goal. I didn't even really know if I was a Christian or not. I was like, maybe Buddhism works for me. Maybe Mormonism works for me. I don't really know. But I think I was searching for deeper answers. And I just wanted to understand why people did the things that they did and thought the way that they think and are guided by their beliefs and are guided by their past experiences. And I think I just took a natural liking to spirituality because I was very fascinated with human psychology and people and why we make the decisions we do <laughs> and all those kinds of things. And yeah, and I think spirituality really gave an outlet for me to put things into perspective. I think like when you believe in like an infinite creator of the universe and that everybody is a spiritual being. In some ways, I think it like takes less pressure off my experience where, yeah, my experience is totally valid, but I also look back on it and I view it more with peace of that was like what was just supposed to happen. Like everything that happened was just supposed to happen. And though I believe in free will, I also believe that the universe is working at the same time we are and we're all just connected and it's all just kind of part of this greater plan or whatever it may be. And it's just, it is what it is. And I think that created a lot of freedom for me just to be able to look at my childhood with less anger of just being that we live in a world where there is a lot of brokenness and everybody has their shit <laughs> and that's just kind of part of it. And, and I think for me too, to let go of the anger of that, my, my parents still dealt with their own childhood trauma and their own issues and they chose to make the decisions they did. And there are consequences for our decisions. But I, I think that spiritual journey really allowed me a lot more freedom to really look at life as a journey and that you aren't just defined by traumatic experiences that happen to you. If anything, I view it more as like super fuel of that you get to make that decision later on because you have this like new unique perspective that most people don't have. That's kind of, that's how I see it. Uh, I can... It brought tears in my eyes when you said that example about your mom. And I think that the beauty of God is that God really does come to us in those moments when we're experiencing trauma. And I look back on my childhood and have those key defining moments for my faith as well that really brought me through some of those really painful moments the belief that everything does happen for a reason. And we have a loving God who wouldn't bring me through these challenges and this trauma without having a reason for it. And that's something that I believed very young. That was very core to what helped me get through my trauma. When my mom was in rehab, I remember I used to hide my Bible underneath my bed and it was like an arm's length. And I would know because it was my arm and I would bring it out and I would put on my Holy Communion gloves and just read my Bible. And I didn't understand it. I was so little, but it gave me a sense of peace that I felt God there with me. And I think that it's those moments that really do help you cope as a child with some of these really traumatic experiences. And when you talk about your faith and how it has gotten you through some of the hardest points of your life, I wonder how your faith has grown and developed because faith can also be a source of 
And although I see all of the beautiful moments in my faith journey, I also see some moments that led to perhaps some beliefs that don't serve me. And I know that on your podcast, you talk a lot about deconstructing and spiritual trauma or religious trauma. And I wonder for you, how has your faith journey grown and changed and evolved over time? And how is it still changing now? It's a loaded question. One thing I do want to discuss, and I'm sure you've made this connection, is talking about how faith, right, can provide healing in traumatic moments. But I also think one of the beautiful things about faith, and especially even within the the Catholic tradition, though I'm not Catholic, is the emphasis of rituals and traditions. And I think that there's a flip side to everything, right? Because I, I do think also that kind of organized, systematic approach where something is is predictable, I think sometimes it can be very helpful when the rest of your life is very unpredictable. And so I think that there's a lot and there is psychology around just the practice of a ritual, especially when you're tying that to a spirit, spiritual element it can be extremely healing that in itself. It's like something that you can depend on. And I think that's why prayer was also really big when I was a kid, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. I think it was just something that like was a time that I could be alone at night, you know, and I, and I think that there's something very like powerful in that. And that's why some of my most like traumatic moments as a kid really were when that like ritual would break. Because right? kids always like you repetition, they want to know what's going on, you like some predictability. And so I don't know, I, I, that's just a thought because I really admire that about the Catholic tradition. And that's something that a lot of faiths have, but I think we've gotten rid of as like really the power of ritual. Yeah, I think think there's a lot of like fundamental aspects of faith that bring forth goodness and that is based in science. So for example, meditation and prayer Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. There's a lot of research on meditation and how that the benefits that brings to our brain and our overall health. And so that's one of the other things, ritual, like For me, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. And so having routines is super good for people who have ADHD because it helps ground you in the moment. And so when you talk about rituals, like rituals are routines. It's something that you routinely do that helps you feel safe and secure and grounded. So that's that's just a really good point to bring up. Totally. But as far as the... uh spiritual journey, how I've continued to evolve. Yeah, it's an interesting, (laughs) it's an interesting balance because I ultimately I did become a Christian. For me, that's just the one that clicked and made the most sense. I really spent about three years on this religious studies journey of not just studying various religions, but really engaging with followers of various faiths. Some have become close friends of mine and I think that open-mindedness has continued even after I did become a Christian. Uh, I view that I think spirituality is a very like living thing because we are spiritual beings. I believe that. I think we're spiritual beings having human like world experiences, not we live on the world and we have some spiritual experiences. But yeah, it's continued to evolve. I think that for me, I think my faith has actually probably gotten stronger because I've allowed myself that open-mindedness to question things 
and to wonder and to realize that I think the God that I believe in and follow is so beyond any, you know, human comprehension. And we've been given these, you know, teachers and books and things like that as a means of a way for us to connect with the divine. It's not fully connecting because I don't think we can fully understand the scope, but there's these passages or moments that have been given to us, I think, that have allowed us to explore our spiritual spirituality. And I think for me, when I started out, just because of my religious studies background, I was very like theologically based lots of apologetic books, lots of debates and arguments and trying to understand like the atheist perspective and the very like valid points that atheists make against fundamentalist religion and the points of Buddhism that make a lot of sense. And I was very into the theological understandings of different religions. And I'm still super passionate about that. But I think as I've also gone on my own journey, I think my like heart softened a little bit. It's not so analytical <laughs> where there's also that just the unexplainable parts of life where there's definitely moments I've had where things just click and they call them, it's like call it like the thin place where it's essentially the Christian belief or that's what Christians call it, at least of when, you know, our dimension and heaven's dimension collide and revisiting the Bible. More of my perspective now is what heaven is more of a gift that we choose our heaven or we choose our hell now. I do believe that there is an afterlife. I do believe heaven goes on, but I don't think it's necessarily a destination that we reach once we die. I think that it's already started now. And so I think just like allowing myself to dive into those very complex <laughs> ideas and the science of faith and the history of faith and kind of all these things, and also just wrestling with for as much as my spirituality has helped me overcome a lot of trauma, I also realized that all faiths, Eastern as well, even though we don't talk about that a lot, has caused tra like traumatic experiences for people. I'm in a multi-faith relationship where I practice, you know, the Bible is my foundation for how I choose to live my life. And for Ashton, the Bible for the first 21 years of his life was very much used as like a weapon when it's very tied to his own childhood trauma. And so I think it's not black and white. It's not necessarily good or bad. It's just, it's very complex and we're complex people. And I think that has also helped me a lot in my personal like faith journey of being able to just be okay with that reality and of knowing, or just like acknowledging that uh, religion can be weaponized. And that's very sad. And that breaks my heart. And if anything, I think it more motivates me as a Christian to know more about religious trauma syndrome, people who get out of cults, and also being weary of like the deconstruction process. One thing we've talked about on the podcast fairly in length is finding this balance between deconstruction and reconstruction. I'm a bit leery of too much deconstruction because if we look throughout history, many of the Bible-based religions that have done extreme harm to people and various Christian denominations have all been a result of one person's extreme deconstruction. And I think we need to acknowledge that. And so I think for me, it's finding that that journey of the balance of we're constantly evolving in our faith. We should, I think if you're not questioning if God exists every single day, then like you're clearly not being totally honest with your faith. And I question that all the time where I have to sit back and be like, do I really believe that? Like, was Jesus really who he said he was? And having that healthy deconstruction while also not allowing it to create another man-made religion. I think that's a hard balance. 
that I'm slowly figuring out. I don't know if I answered your question, but once you get me on the topic, I just go. <laughs> yeah. What I will say is that though faith was a very strong protective <laughs> factor for me growing up Catholic, we all know about Catholic guilt. And I think that shame and religion and, and some oftentimes go hand in hand. And I think for me, there's a lot of beliefs that I am still working through in terms of, is this what I believe? Is this like an interpretation of the Bible that was taught to me that isn't in line with the God that I know? What I, I always say and that my faith was the strongest when I was younger. Like I just was so invested and like wholeheartedly devoted to God and I think that now in my adulthood, like I'm working through what were the, what was true and what was like a childhood understanding of this that um, maybe isn't as true now that I'm an adult, right? There's some, there's some beliefs of like unworthiness and some beliefs of I'm, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And that oftentimes we're rooted in things that were taught in church. And I think that deconstruction is super popular right now in terms of learning how to undo some of the damage that religions have done to marginalized communities and to people who were in very desperate places and came to religion and were met with just unhealthy dynamics within a church. And I think oftentimes it is the way that the Bible is interpreted through pastors or through church communities that oftentimes does create a lot of harm. I wonder for you, I know that you had mentioned that you're going through some spiritual counseling right now and just deepening your faith in that way. And so I wonder as now like you're continuing to grow in your faith, what does that look like and how has that helped shape your self-worth and self-belief? Yeah. Yeah, that's been an interesting journey. I think one thing that has been very positive is faith's definitely an integral role in my relationship. And we would do a whole podcast about it. We have some, lots of friends in all different faiths. It's, I think, though it's not every conversation that is had every day, it is something that uh, is just a part of our daily lives. And for me, I had this like breakthrough moment or whatever you want to call it about a year and a half ago where... Ashton had gotten really into meditation and more Buddhist philosophy. There was just a day where I had to make a decision about something. I was very stressed about making the decision. I didn't really know what to do. Um, and he suggested like, why don't we just do a short meditation together? You know, that was like the first time, at least in our relationship, where we had done a spiritual practice together, not separately, or we support each other separately, but that was something we did together. And I just watching Ashton's process of learning more about meditation and breath work, I became envious of it. <laughs> I was like, man, like I want that in my faith uh, tradition. And so I started to do some reach, research into ancient spiritual practices and learned a lot about early you know, followers of Jesus that it looks way, way different than I think what Christianity looks like in the 21st century, even back to the 1800s, when I think about Jesus' disciples and Paul, and when you really have to get into the rituals and spiritual practices that they were doing, it would look so foreign now, I think, to a lot of Christians. I'd say even some Christians think it would be heresy. <laughs> and so I became really interested in like these lost forms of worship that I think provide 
a very healthy outlet for people. So you, you talk about deconstruction where it's that classic pendulum swing where fundamentalist Christianity, especially in the United States, I think has allowed itself to just be completely flooded with man-made rules and ideas about the Bible and who God is and what it means to act in according to like accordingly to the Bible. And even like what prayer life looks like. I think most Christians don't have a healthy prayer life because like the prayer life that they're preaching for us to have is like really not actually what early Christians were doing or what the Bible really talks about. And so I just became interested kind of research, but also just for myself, right? Of what would these other avenues and opportunities look like? And would these be helpful to people who are in that deconstruction process, right? Where they feel like they don't have any other outlet and, And I think that it goes back to that black and white thinking where you leave fundamentalist Christianity, you pendulum swing to the other side, and you're still in a black and white thinking environment. Fundamentalism is bad. Christianity is bad. And I think I saw that with a lot of people where I think a lot of people felt like my only other option is atheism. And that's fine if atheism is your choice. But I think people should make that decision for themselves, not because they feel like that's the only other option they have if they're not going to be an evangelical. And so spiritual direction has been awesome. I think both on a research level and my ability to engage with people who've been very hurt by Christian teachings and also very freeing for my own spirituality of, I think my faith is more genuine now than it has. And I think a lot of that is just having the tools and verbiage and resources to do that of like long form contemplative prayer and doing lecto divina where, and it's just so countercultural to like what a lot of Christians are used to. Cause most of the books that I read before is like, read the Bible in 365 days or read the Bible in three months where, you know, lecto divina and a lot more of these spiritual direction practices is you could stay on one verse for three months and you just meditate on that one verse. And I think what I like about it is it's so much more about the journey than the destination, because in some ways, if you're already doing spiritual direction and that is an importance in your life, like you've already hit a destination (laughs) and it's more of just then enjoying like the journey and the growth through it. And it's just been helpful. I think I've I've had to get more connected to my emotional side with faith, understanding why I struggle so much, not necessarily to love other people and see the value in other people, but also to see the value in myself. Very, I think I've been very taught about conditional love, that that is what it is all about. And the better I do, or maybe if I read more books about the Bible, or I go to church or whatever, that that is the requirement to be more accepted or loved. And so like the whole concept of unconditional love, you were a created being, that's definitely something I've had to wrestle with because I can totally get it for other people. I totally believe that about other people. I'm like, yeah, everybody's created. Everybody's a child of God. Everybody has innate worth. But for me, I have to like work to get that. And over the last year, that's definitely been a journey and continues to be something that like, I'll probably always have to deal with that or remind myself of that. I don't expect it just to like overnight, I'll wake up and be like, yeah, I can do whatever I want because I'm loved. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. I could definitely relate to that. The conditional aspect of how I see love and God's love and the pain that that causes. And I love what you said. My God is a God beyond human understanding. And I think that's really important because then that 
allows people to feel okay with their their questioning and to continue to question and to continue to discover and to see it as a journey and not not see it as oh I have to have all the answers. I think so often in Christian community there is the leader who is portrayed to have all the answers and maybe even feels like they have to have all the answers, maybe a leader of a small group or a leader of a church. And that can really not be in favor of their disciples' growth journey. And I think that the way that you describe it as a journey and give so much importance on how you grow through your faith, to me, makes it seem more accessible. I'd love to hear quickly how just like one of these practices going a little bit more into detail on let's say somebody listening who wants to see faith as more of a journey and and wants to have this type of relationship with their faith what is a tool right now that you're using and how is it helping you yeah so i found a few actually different things that i love you know more on the phone app side that was like a really good uh, introduction for me actually and I didn't grow up Catholic. Maybe if people have an issue with Catholic Catholicism, totally get it. But for me, there was a you know Catholic app called Hollow H A L L O W that is like strictly a Christian meditative prayer app, and it was like every spiritual direction is in there, like meditation, silence. It's all Christian based. Obviously, there's apps like Headspace and Calm. If someone's looking for a very Christian specific one, Hollow's awesome. I did their Bible in the year, like podcast, which is cool. So I love that. And then as far as an actual practice, Lecto Divina, which is like a ancient Christians have been doing that for thousands of years, where essentially the whole idea is to force yourself to slow down. Maybe you pick a story in the Bible or something like that. And you pretty much just either read scripture. I even do it with just like books. You can even do it with fictional books. There's one guy who does a podcast about Harry Potter and the sacred texts. And they literally do Lecto Divina, but using the Harry Potter books, whereas essentially maybe you read a short paragraph and then you go back through and you find that one word or phrase that really stuck out to you. And then you do a whole meditation on that one word or phrase and kind of reflect on why it stuck out to you, how it relates to what you're currently facing in life. And so I really like Lecto Divina because that's a, a practice that can pretty much be used anywhere. I have some friends who, even atheist friends who have implemented that practice and have really enjoyed it. And that one is great. And anybody can just look it up and find the four steps or whatever to it. But I think it's a really great way to force yourself to slow down. I think oftentimes, especially with books too, and I read a lot, but I think a lot of people are like, man, I read 70 books this year. <laughs> and that's awesome. But I think sometimes we're so have so much information overload that we don't even slow down to like think about what we're reading and like how it's impacting us and affecting us. And so I really like the whole just reflection and like literally just spending an hour, maybe even a week or two weeks or a month just on verse. And that is it. Uh, and I think we've lost that art of reflection in spiritual spaces and that even ties in with like discernment. And that's been my like next journey with spiritual direction is what questions and like things should you discern? How long does that take? Cause that, and like, how do you know when you come to uh, the conclusion about it? And for my spiritual director, he gave me an example where 
he prayed and meditated on one particular life question for over a year before he made a decision about it. <laughs> That's very countercultural to what most people are used to now. Yeah, we're so used to instant gratification and a checklist and I, I think that's so important in terms of our faith life is, hey, you can spend a whole year on one verse and that's part of the journey. I, I really love that. And I just think that it's, it is very countercultural, but it is also how you see the beauty in the moment and in those small, maybe seemingly small insights from God, but can really transcend across your whole life. And every miraculous moment is exactly that and sometimes when we're so caught up in the works we actually miss the moments and just one of those can be catalyzing to change your whole life but if we're so caught up in the works then we miss all of them in in service to just continuous action that might not actually be creating the fruits that we're looking for in our lives i wanted to ask you because you have created a lot of ties between faith and entrepreneurship. And I know that you're getting ready to launch another podcast on this topic. And so I would love to hear a little bit about how you relate faith to entrepreneurship and what links you see there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's the next like exciting season and journey for kind of my long-term vision. And yeah, I think just being in both of those spaces with a lot of different types of people. It's just that thing where faith is such an integral part of my daily life. And so it will always feed into other things that I'm doing. And I think the conversation around spirituality and entrepreneurship is growing, but not as much with this like multi-faith approach. And that's always been my passion is being rooted in my own truth while having a lot of envy and holy envy for other faith traditions and beliefs and how I can learn from that. And I think the same thing is true for the conversation around faith and entrepreneurship. And for me, I just became very interested in how does the atheist perspective impact a founder, right? If a founder is atheist, like how's their critical thinking? How does their skepticism play into, you know, their role as how, as far as how they lead Uh, Same thing with Buddhism, right? How do you navigate Buddhism at work? How does a Christian navigate conversations at work? And then I think even more than that, how can open multi-faith dialogue actually be very beneficial to workplace culture? And I think that even before the pandemic, I thought about that a lot of uh, you'll be at work and it's no longer taboo to talk about politics. People will talk about politics or social issues, but you're not supposed to talk about religion. And I find that interesting because... We're living in a time where your identity, a lot of people's identity is more aligned with their political affiliation than their religious affiliation, which to me, I just can't get it. (laughs) Politics is, that's ever changing, but spirituality is a huge integral part of who we are as people and how we see the world more so than I'd say politics. And so for me, it's about, we know these things about science-based spirituality, right? That we know that daily gratitude lowers your rates of anxiety and depression. We know what meditation and you know prayer life can do. We know what rituals can do. We like know what transparency and work culture can do. So like, why aren't we doing it? And why aren't we talking about it? And so a lot of it is breaking down that spirituality doesn't have to be taboo and it doesn't have to be this thing that you're not supposed to talk about. And I think just normalizing the conversation, but then also giving a lot of these startup workplaces, the tools and even just science backup to say, hey, you don't 
have to even affiliate with anything to practice some of these things because like we know it literally rewires your brain. So like, why would we not do it? And so I'm really excited to just dive into that on my podcast that's coming up uh, with all different types of founders. We're covering Judaism, Mormonism, Buddhism, atheism, paganism, pretty much everything you could imagine. And that's, I've become more interested in that because startup culture is really stressful. (laughs) There's no way around that. But I think that there are some serious benefits to creating this more open, I don't know, open-minded thinking, more spiritual-led culture. I just find that so interesting. I work for a startup in the mental health space, and we actually just recently launched like a community within our organization that is a multi-faith conversational community. And I just think that it's really interesting that we start bringing these topics into work because being able to show up as a whole person, that means with your personality, with your likes, with your interests, with your faith, with your whole self at work is super important. What I'm really taking away from this conversation with you is just how much I admire your posture of openness. You talk about black and white thinking and how you've worked to eradicate that in your life. And I think that is so important, especially today. And it's something that I've really been working on, but also has come up as a consistent theme of Hey, when you come at things with just a posture of openness, you can have confidence in what you believe and what you know to be true, but then you can hold that in one hand and you can hold your questions in the other hand and you don't have to have certainty. Nobody's expecting that. It's a journey and it's a process. And and when we have this posture of openness, we're more willing and able to engage in loving relationships with people from all different types of backgrounds. And that's how we break down stereotypes. That's how we bring together communities and people and align towards goals and are able to drive towards them with authentic meaning and purpose. And so I'm really walking away just knowing how important that is. And with a renewed sense of focus on working to continue to be on this path towards openness and recognize when I am making a fork in the road when there might not need to be one there, where it might actually, there might actually just be an opportunity to pave a path forward that where both intentions can be be true. I just really appreciate you for that. I wonder, as so many people are probably as intrigued as I am by your story and your work, where can people follow you and stay in touch with you and maybe even engage with you further? Totally. Yeah, you can find me at my name. So Allison underscore Delphume. Pretty sure that's what it is on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I mainly just use Instagram. And then you can find What the Faith pretty much anywhere. So at What the Faith Space or www.whatthefaith.space. We always have podcasts going up. We do digital events. We have a probably a full digital summit coming this spring if everything works accordingly. <laughs> and yeah, we're just continuing those things. My podcast will go live sometimes this fall, working on some other written material and resources around spirituality and entrepreneurship, doing some workshops with people. And yeah, just con- continuing that advocacy for open-mindedness and having a little bit more empathy for people. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always a joy chatting with you. I think that my mind 
becomes more open with every conversation that we have. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything that you do in the faith community. I know so many people who are deconstructing and struggling and your podcast and your space is just such an amazing resource that's out there for people. So thank you for creating that. And yeah, I just thank you for showing up here today with your vulnerability and with your whole self. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. As always, any books, links, or resources that were mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes for you to access. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment. We would love to hear from you. Or feel free to send us a direct message on Instagram at Elevate Potential Podcast if you would like to be a guest on this show. Finally, please subscribe and download episodes in order to support the community that we are creating of people who are working to elevate their potential together. Until next time.